Welcome back to the Wedding Wisdom Podcast with Doug Winters. I am your host, Doug Winters. Today is Monday, January 18th, and this is episode 88. My guest today is someone that I've wanted to have on the podcast for a while. He is uniquely qualified to talk about every granular aspect of a wedding. He has been both maitre d' and director of sales at two of the most prestigious venues in New York, if not the country. When I say granular, <laughs> I'm talking seriously granular, like what happens when you give your ticket to a valet to park? That and many other mysteries of the wedding universe are about to be explained by the amazing Randy Janice. Some weddings are much more elaborate on the vendor's side, on if they need a setup day from flowers, are they building a flower wall? Like when we do Syrian weddings, they want a huge flower wall behind the bar. Flower walls usually take a day of build out. If you're lucky enough to have a Friday where it's empty and you're either, they are either rented from you or you. Oh, that didn't even occur to me. If someone has like a two day build out, they have to rent the room out for two days. That means you can't have a party in there Friday night. Cannot. You know, some people roll the dice and let's say it's six months out, you know, and okay. it's, the wedding is starting to evolve into an extravaganza. And okay. the florist is selling some great ideas, but those ideas usually cost money on my side. Tell me why. Why is because... That's what I think, because you are the perfect, literally the perfect person to have on this podcast, because you see everything from all sides. You yes. see it from the vendor perspective, you see it from the client perspective, and you see it from the house perspective. Yes. And so when you say it costs you money, what does that mean? It costs the house money to heat the ballroom. Let's just say you're having a wedding in the middle of February, right? And, okay. And... Uh, there's nothing scheduled and, you know, maybe the room rental is going to be 10000 or 25000 for a setup day that, you, that they now need because it has evolved. If you're six months out, that number might be 25000 because you still have time to sell the room. You're going to buy me out for the – are you going to buy me out for the day so you, your vendors can set up to provide you? Well, you mean the florist is going to – Charge the client $25,000. No, no, no. I, the venue is going to charge you $25,000 for the setup. To day. take the extra uh, 24 hours. To take the, the extra day. I see. Now the scope is, is really big. And you know what? They actually need the day. And now you're a month out. They want their vendors to be able to commit to a timeline of how much time they're getting. Because normally you're not allowed into our ballroom until, four, until 2 o'clock in the morning. A wedding that has evolved to that kind of scope, usually the family has been involved in a wedding of that kind of scope before, and they know right. it's not. Okay. You know, what I mean, it's not like we're trying to rip you off. I got to bring in staff, the housemen, the guys that move the tables, the guys that set up the buffet tables, the placement where everything is. This is all for me to figure out well before the wedding ever happens, because normally. You set up dinner first and mark where those dinner tables are. Then you take it and put those tables into a box, wall it off, and set up the ceremony. So when the ceremony's over, those tables now just move back into that dinner space. All right, so we're talking about a space that's one huge room. Yes. It's not like the Pierre where you have the cotillion room for ceremony right. and you have the ballroom. You know, there's a word that we're probably going to use a lot today. I think you might have told me this years ago, but the word flow, like the whole party is about a flow from the minute you walk in. From the valet. 
thank you, from the valet to the valet at the end. The valet at the end. Yeah. And that's the experience. It's not just, you know, how the band do, how was the lighting, how was the food, how was the, you know. And, you know, it's a, there's things that happen. And again, I'm, I don't want to kind of go all over the place here, but if I've done my job very well from the sales side, my matrix mm -hmm. can run with everything and I just stand back. And I just watch it all happen how I planned it. Then. All right. Describe the difference between the maitre d' and the director of sales. The director of sales starts from the day the father or the mother and the bride or all three of them walk in, checking out various venues. Usually they're looking at three, four, five places in this that do those caliber weddings. Right. I know that I'm up against those places. I'm selling the dream of my venue, but I also know that I'm up against some very stiff competition and some beautiful venues. I don't have a cotillion room for a separate space, so I have to sell them on the walls and how we're going to have to move the tables while you're in cocktail hour. Some people are turned off by that. Some people won't even consider it. But when people are starting to look at my space and they think they're going to have 350 to potentially 500 people, my space works better than those rooms because those rooms are too small. Right. In my space, I don't get a lot of weddings from 200 to 250 people because it feels like they're lost in that space. You know, I know we're, we have a mutual friend in Larry Scott who it's very hard for him to even consider my venue. Yeah. Because he thinks it's too big. When he has the right client where he's at 350, 400 people, I'm one of his calls that he's taking his clients on those sites. Right. So it could be the planner and the bride and the mother, and it could be a contingent that comes. It could be. Most weddings start with the family before they actually bring their planner in with them. Okay. Unless, as I mentioned before, when if somebody's done an extravaganza before in their life for one of their siblings. Right. That planner is then usually the next the planner for the next kid's party because they have a relationship and now they're going to come in with that planner from the get go. Yeah, and, and you know, like somebody like Norma has a very specific idea. Norma Cohen yeah. has a very specific idea on how space should be used and how big it needs to be for ceremony and cocktail hour and dinner dance. And she doesn't want to turn any rooms, so she won't even consider me for certain jobs. She wants to buy the space out up front a day before and do all her work and everything is set so there is no movement but is that a problem if you wanted to do that oh it's absolutely no problem yeah it's absolutely no yeah as long as she oh knows so she, she knows that the client has to know that there's going to be a built-in $25,000 to rent the place out for an extra day yes sometimes after she quotes that client that client <laughs> wants to talk to me directly to see if there's anything they can do usually to get that price down or and again, depending on the time of year, if it's winter or things like that, there's a little more flexibility. But when somebody is saying, can I have the Saturday of Memorial Day weekend? Because Sunday is a very big day in the Jewish community because Monday's a holiday. It's a very popular date, especially for a spent venue like mine where you're going to have five, potentially 600. That Saturday is maybe now worth thirty-five dollars or $50,000. Oh, okay. Six months, nine months out. And that's, that's not an arbitrary and, number. In other words, so like, Sunday of Labor Day weekend and the Sunday of Memorial Day weekend. Those weekends have two Saturday nights. Yes. Mm -hmm. More so than yes. New Year's Eve, more so than anything else. It's like you know that you're going to be working on that Saturday and that Sunday for sure. So you know that you, so you can charge. That's why you said you could charge more for. Yes. And especially when you're a year to nine months out, you've got to keep that date open if they're not willing to pay for it, you know, up front when they're ready to sign that contract. Oh, so then it could so, be too late. It could be too late or they roll the dice. 
Now I'm getting phone calls either from the party planner or if the parents are and the bride are really the driving force of the of the planning. And and sometimes the grooms are right now, especially in the in the Persian community, the grooms are very involved. Is the date is the date been sold? Is the date been sold? I really want to, you know, because now they're starting to get into how elaborate their flowers are going to be, how elaborate their hoop is going to be. For the average person listening, or, or the people who are planning it like a big elaborate thing, that it just doesn't happen. It just doesn't happen. I've, I've learned the term from, from Norma, from Preston, the term build out. Yes. A term which I never even knew before. But it literally means the, the time it takes to build a structure or something. Especially with tents and people doing it on their estates or something. Build out could be a week or two weeks. You're talking about subflooring, tents, generators. Oh, I just said Steve Frost on air, air conditioning. Yeah, absolutely. Same thing. I learned what an HVAC is. 100%. And, and it's not cheap, especially when you're dealing with a wedding of three, four, five hundred people outdoors. It is not, it, it is not cheap, to, to, especially air conditioning. Air conditioning is incredibly expensive. But Back to us. We were talking about a build-out and why it's important for a client to have to buy the day before their wedding. If they need it. If they need, if they need it. it. If they need but explain that because you kept on saying rolling the dice. What, is, what does that mean? Rolling the dice is I don't really want to pay for it right now and hope that I'm either in a cave and charge them nothing as we get closer because the day is empty or you know I'm going to charge them maybe less than that $50,000 for the Memorial Day Saturday. And I'm just using it just for an example. That doesn't mean, because that Memorial Day Saturday could be worth $100,000 if you're two years out. You, you know what I'm saying? Sure. Because, and bar mitzvahs get dates. Yes. And, and you no, know, I, I did a bar mitzvah with a zip line. That was a two-day build-out. You know what I mean? That was a zip line. A zip line? Yes. The, the insurance was ridiculous on that. Uh, that's, that was my big question. It was unbelievable. And then the person that built the zip lines, he has big balls. He said, I'll take the insurance on Wow. And he goes, I, I know my, my zip line's not going to fall down. He saved the whole party. And I was the first one on the zip line, the big fat guy. And he freaked out the night before, actually. <laughs> you can't be on this shit. I, I don't have you properly secured. He went berserk when I went, when I went on it. There is actually a video somewhere of it, and it is not pretty of me going across. <laughs> I love zip lines. That, what a genius oh idea. God. And the kids kept going on. They had to sign release forms. They had... They had to get into a harness. They had to be de-harnessed on the other side of the ballroom. There was a room for them to get in the harness. Where they got up was on the second floor. So they had to go an elevator. Oh, up, right. Of course. Yeah. Hop out onto the catwalk, get on the zip line, de-harness, go back down into the party. And these kids were going back and forth over the parents all night long. They were literally going over the guests? All night long. Holy crap. The, the family was ready to stop the party if they couldn't get the zip line because the I didn't promise them the zip line, I, but they, this was his, their, their idea, and they they got it through with the party planner. It so, was a genius idea. <laughs> it'll never, it, I, I can guarantee you it'll never happen again. Let's go back to the whole vendor thing. So, that, yeah. Let's even go back to when, how I sold the event, okay. right? Yeah. I, I'm selling the dream. I'm having June weddings where instead of doing the after party on the mezzanine, I'm showing them the outside of the restaurant and outside of the restaurant has an outdoor space because the father is really into cigars and, and bourbons. Oh. So it costs more money because there's a different setup out there. And then you've got to put a DJ over there 
and you're not using the sound system, you're just using the ballroom with your band. Right. So you're going to pay for that additionally. And But if you're willing to pay, and as I tell people, and this kind of goes back to your question before, it's just money. It's just money. If you want to pay, anything is possible. It's my job to help you create that dream. And I'm very good at creating that dream. Right. But I also have to be able to create that dream within the space that I know it's going to work 1,000%, not 100%, 1,000%. And that dream now, I have to impart to everybody, every vendor, everybody on my team from front of the house to the back of the house. Would you mind going into that? Like, yes. like Yeah. The front of the house is the maitre d'. He's my main guy. He's the face. He's the person greeting the, the guests, yes. greeting the family. Greeting the guests during the day before I get there. This is why they're getting their hair done. This is why they're arriving. In our venue, we don't have a shower. So usually they're coming from the hotel down the street. Mm -hmm. They come to our space. They can come as early as 8 o'clock in the morning, especially if we have an Orthodox party starting 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Mm. They could be coming 6 o'clock if they want to, if they have to get there that early, depending on how much the hair yeah, and the yeah, makeup. Yeah. you got to make sure that the, the production team knows to have extra power tie-ins in that room because it's going to blow out the circuits at 8 o'clock in the morning once all the girls and the air dryers get going. I mean, there's little things that you know, you got to know about the quirks of your building. I have also a director of operations. He is back in the house. He is the gentleman that is there at 6 o'clock in the morning who I give his phone number to. He's not a maitre d', but he knows the building inside and out. And he's going to greet them with my housemen outdoors to help them get their dresses in, help them get their oh, um, okay. everything for the wedding, benchers or the kippas, the, you know, the yarmulkes. Yeah, yeah. Any materials that they have for the wedding, the mother's dresses. I have super tall coat racks that for the bride's dress versus a regular coat rack because the bride's dress usually hangs two feet lower with the train. And... That coat rack needs to be in the bridal suite. And then we have to make sure there's a steamer there. I know all these things, but it's my team's job, my back of the house team, that I impart that information, make sure they have a steamer. So, and, and it goes on a banquet event order, which is called the BDO. And if I've done my job, like I said, nobody has to call me at home. So, What's that expression? BEO, banquet event order. Okay. And that's a standard term for anyone. In, that's a standard in term industry. in the industry. But information is power. The more information, it might be minutiae to some people, mm -hmm. but the more information that is there, the more foolproof the day can be. And even just the fact that you chose the word, you know, to, to talk about a steamer when you're talking about the bridal dresses. And I usually warn the mother of the bride and the bride. I said, we're not responsible. You can use my steamer, mm -hmm. okay? But I don't want my people touching it. And usually these brides with those types of dresses come with a dresser from the bridal company that they brought the dress from. That's in there in the daytime, making sure it fits her right, it's buttoned properly. Some people don't go that, that step. Uh -huh. So my bridal attendant is there from the second the groom and the bride arrive and put food in their room. Now this is your bridal attendant. So yes, working bridal. for you, working for the ven venue. Yes. Okay. Yes. So when I say you, I mean you being the venue. As the yes. director of sales, you are the venue. Yes. Again, going back to this planning stage after the tasting, I usually have done a rough timeline that I get out of the family 
when they want their breaks with their music and when they're arriving. And if you're staying at the hotel, when do we expect you to arrive with your dresses? Usually the bride arrives like three or four hours earlier with her girls and the guys come later. They're a little less maintenance, right? They don't have dresses to steam or anything. They just got to get in the tux. They're looking for a few beers. They're looking for a bottle of vodka maybe or something. I'm not very big on giving them alcohol before the event because it's the, the, the ceremony is really the most important thing, but, yeah. and usually the father and mother, again, of the people that are usually paying, don't mm-hmm. want to see the bridal party drunk. Sometimes we've had problems in the past where they ask for more during the day, and it's almost like I then tell the father to go tell them we're cutting them off, versus me telling them we're cutting okay. them off. Yeah. They can drink all they want once the party starts. And, and that, so that's just one little thing. But yeah. now still going back to after the tasting and this timeline that I've put together. Wait, when you're uh, selling the place. Yeah. Is the tasting part of the sale? No, no. Let's just say they booked a year out. The tasting is going to happen depending on the time of year. If, if they're getting married in September, I try to do the tasting in June before everybody goes away to the Hamptons and things like that. Okay. If the wedding is, let's just say, uh, uh, I booked the wedding in January and the uh, and the wedding is taking place in November, I probably would do it after Labor Day, you know? Oh, okay. If, so, but you kept, yeah, because you kept on talking about the tasting. So I just wanted to make sure that the tasting wasn't part of the sale. Like they no. taste the food before they buy the place. Some places do that, actually. I know that happens out here in Long Island a little bit, but that oh, doesn't yeah? happen with okay. us. But the other part of it comes down to, especially if it's turning into one of those very big productions, the planner that has now been hired early in the process wants to go to print with their menu cards. So they may push up that tasting to somewhere after 4th of July and still do it in the summertime because they're still working. But that's kind of arbitrary. You don't really care about that. I don't care about that, but that that actually is an opportunity for me as the director of sales, and it kind of lets us set the tone and really get into how the day is going to unfold, and that's where you really have them all sitting. Usually you have both sets of parents. You have the bride and groom. They tell you who potentially would be doing the toasts. I always ask a question, is there anybody that sings in your family? It usually happens later, and you don't want that person to be too drunk. And Right, exactly. You know, I've had things where the sister was a Broadway singer and she was just a, such a professional about what she wanted. And usually I recommend make sure the band. Yeah. Make, have a rehearsal with the piano sure player. Her mu- music, yeah. you know, and usually those things are a surprise. So you can't put that on the timeline for the bride to sing. Some, Got see it. Some, now all that I mean? stuff comes out in the tasting. Some of that comes out. And then some of if it's going to be a surprise, it comes out behind bride's back or the yeah of course i've done that myself i've had like the groom saying i wrote a song for my bride don't you know don't tell anybody and and i said well just you know send me a recording of it i'll write it out i'll have my guys do a backup and oh you're kidding us should just don't tell the bride you know i had a whole thing the whole family knew about it but it was a surprise to all the guests the father was a big grateful deadhead he played guitar and he played it very well actually and his son played guitar and sang and the rabbi who married them played keyboards. And the three of them got up after the dinner break and the father introduced themselves and they played the weight from the band. It was, and it was like a big Man. dead party. It was so much fun. I mean, it was, I'm a big dead. This was an Orthodox wedding. The band knew what they were going to play. Right. 
but they rehearsed it before pictures. The father had his, his gear there. The rabbi got there early. So this is an Orthodox wedding. So the last thing in the world you'd think of would be like a Grateful Dead. And song. it was like a th- it was like a twenty piece. It was a twenty piece band. Wow. That, back, that backed the three of them up. They had the horns. They had the whole thing. It was super cool. That's great. That's great. You know, but again, it, nothing happens organically. That's the way I try to explain this to the brides and to the fathers and to you know because as I tell them, I'm the general. I use the word dictator. You're in my house. I know how it's going to work best. I'm open to ideas. I'm open to suggestions. And I'm always willing to learn. And my elbow, my arm has been t- twisted a few times mm-hmm. and proven, you know what? That's a good idea. Let's, let's, let's work it in and we can figure, I can help you figure this out. But if it doesn't flow with my service, if it doesn't flow with, you know, and I don't want to diverse too far with like Indian weddings about buffet versus seated food because, right. but you know, you have to kind of talk them out of what their culture is also used to, too, on some of these weddings. Going back to the planning of it, they usually come around to my way of thinking because they have a certain level of trust in me that has now grown over the eight months that we've known each other. I've done four weddings for one family, from their bar mitzvah to their wedding. I've actually, you know what I mean? That's happened to me twice, actually, where I've done bar mitzvah and kids come back to me and get married. I guess it's the gray hair is showing. No, but that's really gratifying. It means they can trust you. It is gratifying because they could go anywhere. And those aren't shoppers. They're coming right back. Right. Because of the experience they got, not just from me, the food, the quality of the service, the attention to detail. So going back into this planning process after the tasting, now it's starting to evolve where I put it on paper and they're sharing this piece of paper, this timeline with their vendors their videographer. If I'm working with somebody that's never been there, they usually want to come in and see the space where they're going to be able to take pictures. The parents and the bride don't have to be there. They meet with me. I walk them around. Oh, this is great. This isn't a photograph. Great. That's great. Most people that I'm working with that have been there know the venue, especially on the decor side. I don't know if you know Josh from Birch Events. I don't. You have to introduce me. And I can certainly set that up for you. With Great, these. thanks. He's a social media maven. The brides love him, love him, love his ideas. Very gregarious. Hey, give him a shout out. What's his name again? Josh Spiegel. Josh Spiegel from Birch Events. You can go to his website. Birch, Birch Events? Events? Okay. Birch Events. And I love Josh to death. I love Josh to death. But Josh comes up with these ideas. Oh, we're going to do a 10-foot round table. A 10-foot round table doesn't move on the turn. You know what I mean? Like, Josh, I got to rein you in. So either I got to drape off that table because it can't move. What do you mean, a 10-foot round table? A, literally a 10-foot round table with a tree coming out of the center of it. Oh, my God. Wait a minute. It just occurred to me. I talked to someone. They were talking about a 60-inch round or a 66-inch round or a 72-inch round. This is 120-inch. Oh, six, so 72 is 6 feet, and this is this is 10-foot round. A 10-foot round. And when you think about the weight of the flowers and everything on top of it, it doesn't move. And Josh will sit there and tell me, this is what the bride wants. Well, it's number one, it's what he sold them. But I get (laughs) the idea. And it's my job to make sure that we can execute his idea and keep the bride and family happy because we kind of went through it in my mind numerous times to make it happen. Once I have comfort in it, then it's my job to execute it with my team. My maitre d', my houseman, my director of operations, are we able to supply the equipment? Are we able to supply the manpower to 
space this, etc. Now this information that I have garnered on that timeline, I have now starting to decimate to the vendors and most importantly to my team, how we're going to help these guys be successful. Because no matter what, they're in our house and I got to, we have to, we, meaning my team, the maitre d' mm -hmm. and our director of facilities, our housemen, our back of the house team that maybe is receiving special china, special glassware that the florist rented. It's showing up at our door at five o'clock at night and we have an event on Thursday for 800 people and it's showing up at the door and I'm getting a thing, your name's on it. What are we to do? Oh God. You know what I mean? And it's all about solutions. Only solutions, no problems. Like I said, we move on everything I've choreographed up to that point. Right. The planner has a lot of input into it. And if there is no planner, it's usually the parents that have the input. And, the, and some parents are very detailed because they've thrown numerous parts, numerous. Sure. And they know sometimes more than me about that family that had four events with me. Knew more some about my, well, what if we do this and drape it off here now? I said, you know what? That'll work. That'll work. <laughs> what a great you know, idea. You know, we're not having a band. We're having a DJ for this wedding. And we're flying him in from Israel, but he insists because he's a celebrity. He needs to be on the side of the stage where the hook is going to be. I came up with a, an eight by four riser for him on the side of the stage, hidden so he couldn't be seen by the crowd, but he was right next to the bride and groom and everybody. And then we slid his DJ rig to the center because he was going to play dinner. For the ceremony, we had a beautiful white drape that hid the flower wall that was exposed for the dinner. So you had a completely different look from the ceremony to the dinner. So boom, the drape goes down in 15 seconds. And now you have a, an exposed wall. The DJ slides over his rig on, from his little four foot stage onto the 24 by 12 stage. And now he's centered on the flower wall while we're setting up all the tables now for the next hour, putting them on those date marks in the ball. Yeah. But all that is choreographed by me with my maitre d' and my director. When you say tape marks, you're literally talking about like if someone goes on Jimmy Fallon or any of those talk shows. Yes. They always show that there's little X's. Yes. You know, those little know. X's that say number one or number 12, yeah. that's mm -hmm. where table 12 is going. So when the housemen move that table, because table one was for 10 people, table 12 was a 72-inch round for 14 people because the china, glass, and silver is already on it. The flowers are already on it. The linen is already fitted on it. And we're, we're moving them across to that tape mark. So when the lights go on for dinner, the lighting's already been done. Because remember, we set up earlier in the morning for dinner. I'll give you another another thing about that family. They're like, the last time we were here, the cocktail hour was too tight. And we went through this whole thing. And it took like three or four walkthroughs. I mean, you should be interviewing them maybe as a, as a family that has planned parties. I'd love to have someone on, seriously, if you want uh, They would love it. The husband and wife were fantastic people. He would call me at my desk at 11 o'clock in the morning. I've been thinking about this, Randy. I'm like, okay. I, you know, it was pretty funny. But he came up with the layout for the cocktail hour buffet situation that improved it dramatically from the last kid's wedding. He cut down on the stations. I want more butler pass. I don't want all these things around the columns. I want everything straight along here to get more space. And he still had his 650 people. Cocktail hour is the hardest part because it's just so tight. So, see, anything that you say is gold. Randy, I swear to God, I think you should come on once a month. <laughs> you know, I should, well, I should just randomly ask people questions. <laughs> like, ask Randy. You know, and like you're the perfect person. So in other words, talk about cocktail hours for a second, because it's something that no one thinks about. 
Oh, cocktail hour is really the best place for people to move around and see each other and hug and kiss, especially if you haven't seen somebody in a while. You watch a dramatic ceremony, then it's a big happy breaking of the glass, and now we go upstairs. Again, the food is super important, but the drinks are probably just as important. Oh, if not more. People are ready to let loose right now. Yeah. Especially even if you're not a big drinker, that's when you're going to get a cocktail. You, you, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? You know, especially the older guys. Because it's something to hold. Yes. But I'm going to give you another thing because I was thinking about this before. One of my questions in the planning, do we have any grandparents in wheelchairs? It's Do we have people that are that we have to be concerned about? Because during the cocktail hour, I'm going to have a reserve sign on one or two tables because the grandparents are usually the last out, especially if they're slow. Right. And they have no place to sit or eat because they can't stand very long. Right. And I put a waiter at those tables to protect it. So when those 600 people descend on the cocktail hour space, I have somebody saying, no, this is for the family. Even though it's just a thought, make sure that they've got a space. If they can't do Mm -hmm. steps, I'm gonna put them on the west side so they stay right on the floor. If they really cannot be socializing, I'm gonna put them outside my office, in my inner office, and make them comfortable till we get them in for dinner. So they, because sometimes they can't handle the noise and everything that's going on with the music. And so. But that goes into the category of nothing just happens on its own. Nothing happens on its own. Absolutely. Yeah. And I look at it, I mean, maybe I take this stuff a little too personal, but you're in my house and I got to make it happen for you. There is no exceptions, you know, and I'm the only person myself or the maitre d' are the only ones in the entire room that get to say no to a guest. I'll run to Dwayne Reed to get them something because it's open 24 hours up the street. <laughs> I'll, 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 you know what I mean? It's, it's, yeah, it's not about problems. It's about solutions. About solutions. You know, if we're running out of 42, we got to go up to our other property, and, which we'll never run out because most of these parties now have made it established how much they drink in 1942. They don't necessarily want to pay for it all, but that's... A, Wait, that's what's a, 1942? That's the tequila that everybody drinks. The uh, oh, oh, 1942. Oh, oh, Don Julio. Okay. Oh, that's great. Yeah, yeah. You know, some of those things are a challenge, but again, the more information I pull out of the client, the better off their party is going to be. Some people try to sneak some things past me, like with valet parking. Okay. Oh, explain that. Valet parking is contracted directly with the valet parking company, even though the venue. Takes, takes no ownership for the valet. There's only two recommended valet companies that you can work with because we know that they know the streets, they know how to get in and out of the garages the quickest. And there's a formula based on how many valet parkers for how many cars you want to guarantee. So the formula is normally one valet parker for every four cars because of how far the garage is away from the venue. Some places you don't have to worry about it because the garage is right there and people don't even pay for valet parking because their garage might be next to the venue. Right. Where we're at, that's not the case. Again, you have elderly getting out of the car, dealing with the steps going up the front porch. Do I have, do I have ushers outside helping them up, holding their hands, welcome? That's what I mean. Uh, from your side, when you have someone, let's say, in a wheelchair. Yes. What's your job on your side? The handicap lift. I put that right on the paper. We need the handicap lift. Grandma's going to be here at 8 o'clock in the morning. Please make sure the handicap lift. But, but that's in a part of the building that is not open at 8 o'clock in the morning. So I have to tell my director of operations, please have it ready. Have the key ready. Be ready to accept this woman 
in and then we have to escort her to the bridal suite and get her into the bridal suite. So, so, so you are the general. I mean, that's just a lot of yes. moving parts. Yes. And again, I don't want to be woken up because I'm going to be there at 2, 3 o'clock in the morning and I'm going to drive home an hour and I'm not coming in to 4 o'clock. I know that I have a team that is very capable of handling everything I set up with them. My operations team is the best in the city, hands down, no question about it. I mean, like, for example, let's say I was bringing in a 15-piece band. Yes. And for some reason, my guys had to set up super early. Yes. So they could come in and set up at 6 o'clock in the morning, 5 o'clock in the morning. I mean, that would never happen, but I'm just, you know, arbitrarily. Let's just say the, the stage that was there, the, the event before you, was 24 by 12, and you need a 40 by 12. Oh, right. Okay. The client has to be willing to pay for your setup on the overnight to the production people to have an extra team come in there. I go with that with a lot with the florists. The florists want to start building the hook bed at 4 o'clock in the morning, and the hook is not part of the event from the day before or the night before. And it's in a different part of the building. It has to be dropped. So are you willing to pay for the production people? Because it's a separate bill. The production team is paid separately. It's a separate company. Are you going to pay the production company for them to come in and put that platform down so you can dress it and start putting these big, you know, somebody like Larry can attest to that for you, what, what it takes on load-ins and things. Yeah, this guy, Larry, that we keep talking about is one of the people that, Randy's worked with him a million times and, and was one of my true mentors in the business. I must have done 100 parties with him. His name is Lawrence Scott out in Hicksville. Just one of the best people I know. And he's a great man. He's the best. Total match. Oh, yeah. Total match. And another one that no problems, only solutions. Nothing stops him from making the guests satisfied. Nothing. And he's a gentleman. He talks a lot, but he's a gentleman. He, talk, you know, he talks with his hands and he, he gets excited about if things aren't yeah. exactly just right. But he's a fair and... Just a great yeah, man. Yeah, he's great. So his name is Lawrence Scott. Yeah. So is it Larry Scott now? Larry Scott Production. La La Lawrence okay. Scott's Productions. But I'm just going to really tie up that ballet park. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was a bar mitzvah. The father said to me, I guaranteed 60 cars. Had 10 guys out there plus two managers. He ended up having 128 cars. Wow. And the, and the valet parking after about 90 cars said, we can't take anymore. We didn't. I'll give you a great analogy. When you put too many people on an airplane, yeah. what happens? Yeah. Those 30 people that didn't get to park their car. And we're talking lower Manhattan. It's not easy to find parking. No. And on a Saturday night, it's the streets are just right. jammed. Exactly. But it got to the point where I micromanaged the valet months in advance with him. I said, you don't have to sign a contract because you have a better idea how many people are coming. But... They don't want to pay, right? And it is the first impression. It is absolutely the first impression. Right. I can tell you another. I mean, we could have a whole other conversation about valet parking. I did another one for a hospital in Brooklyn with 300 cars. 300 cars. Wow. And that weekend, they had construction, and they turned our street around. <gasps> oh, no. <laughs> All I know is the, the guy that the hospital is out in the street. Where the fuck is Randy? Where the fuck is Randy? And I'm walking up and down the street screaming at people, holding back traffic and moving around. And I'm like, and it, it was, oh, it was, it was I, 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 to this day, I, I'll never forget it. And he did three more parties, three more times with me, and we got it right. Because he knew, he knew that you were doing everything humanly possible. Saw me out in the street yeah, exactly. screaming at people and stuff. Didn't ultimately make him happy because his constituency was 
pissed. Yeah. You know, yeah. he heard about it on Monday when sure. they all went back to work. It's a, it's a challenge. So here they it's are spending a million dollars on a party, yeah. and people are pissed because they don't even have a parking spot in the beginning. And it's my job because my maitre d' is so busy in the middle of the party. Yeah. And, you know, when, after you serve the dessert with some of these parties, the elderly are starting to get out, and they're looking for their car. I'm out there now pushing, get your guys moving, get your guys moving. I'm doing whatever I can at the end of the party, and everybody's having a great time and basking, and I'm... You know, packing up their gifts, packing up the bridal dress and this and that. All my captains and attendants are helping them get ready to get it in their truck. I always pull the father aside and say, hey, it doesn't happen often. Right. But when it does, you're going to hear a complaint. I want you you to hear it from me. I don't want you to hear it from them. Right. Okay. So what's your advice to people on valet parking? I don't know how we got on this, but it's great. The valet parking company that you're contracting with knows how many valet parkers they need, how many managers they need in each garage with walkie-talkies, talking to the guy that's in front of the building, looking for that ticket number, that license plate number. You have to trust and be willing to pay for it because people aren't always willing to pay for it because it's expensive, It's especially in New York, in a city situation. I'm sure Chicago is the same way or L.A. Yeah. It is expensive and you can go to other places and not have to deal with that expense. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I lose weddings because of it. I, I, I'll be honest with you about that. You're paying for the valet parkers at a certain rate. You know, 300 cars, you have to have, you have, to have 50 guys. Yeah. 50 guys at $125 a pop, I mean, that's a lot. Then you got to pay the garage fee of $50, $55 for the 300 cars. Now, then the insurances, the tips and everything that are in the contract, you know, you're looking at $25,000, $30,000 for, you know, 300 cars. It works out to about $100 a car. In all the top places that we're talking about in the city, none of them have like an indoor parking garage. With It's not a, a shopping mall. No. Not, so that you have to pay for valley parking. Chelsea Piers, the same thing, right? This, this is actually interesting. I never even thought about this. Does the guest have an expectation that they're just going to drive up to the place and drop off their car? In our venue, they do. It's an embarrassment if you don't have LA parking set up. Okay. Because of the, okay. It's, it, it, you're basically disrespecting the elderly because they're still driving. Yeah. And in the Persian community, they usually come two couples to, to a car. It's pretty interesting. An Italian wedding, if you're coming from Staten Island, they're not. It's just one couple per car. Italian wedding, they leave at a little different pace. Persian wedding, when that dessert is served, they're flooding out there, man. And it's like you have a hot chocolate station or a cider station out there. If the weather is cold, you need something to entertain them or something out there because it could get a little dicey because they're all leaving at the same time. Every type of wedding has nuance, like uh, not to digress, but like back to the cocktail hour, a Jewish wedding, most people will stand and you, you you definitely have your cocktail tables, but a Greek and Italian wedding, you better have double the amount of cocktail tables because they all sit for the cocktail hour. Oh, is that right? Oh, okay. Same with an Indian wedding. They sit. They want to sit and put plates and, and you got to make sure the busing is heavier. In a Jewish wedding, you got to make sure the busing is happening around the people's hands. You know, you got to take stuff out of their hands because there's less places to sit, you know, and they got a drink and they got some food and they, you know what I mean? So Jewish weddings, people stand... Indian weddings and Italian weddings, they sit? Camp out. Camp out. <laughs> Camp out, eat. And, and they want the drinks brought to them or they know they have to go they, get it? They usually send the husband up to get the drink or, you know. Oh, okay. Uh, you know, but yeah. they, they hold their spots for the whole cocktail hour. You know what I mean? But they don't have waiter service. 
No, 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 no. You know, a certain, I mean, again, I go back to the grandparents. Oh, sure. There's some special needs. I've done tremendous special needs parties. It'll break my heart if I start thinking about it too much, but I did a spectacular wedding where the father had ALS. Mm. Oh, wow. The party, as much as it was for his daughter, he wanted to make sure he made this wedding and he brought her down the aisle with the mom in the wheelchair. And uh, we had to get him to a certain section for the cocktail hour. And it, I mean, we had meetings on how we were just going to get him around the building. This, it was so detailed. The bride was the star, but he mm-hmm. was star one A. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, that's beautiful. And he was there to the very end. He stayed to the very end. Unfortunately, he passed like four months later. Wow. But he, he was going to be there for his daughter's wedding, and I still am friendly with the bride. And he was all about the food. The cocktail hour, he was all about the food. And not enough food, kept adding stations, you know, and very involved with the tasting, even though he had to be fed. Wow. He was incredibly involved. Where's my elevator? Where's my ramps? Where I had, I had to make sure I had a special ramp built for him, where the cocktail hour was because he wanted to be upstairs. He didn't want to be downstairs. I made sure there was a special handicap ramp that was built for him to get into the space for cocktails because he wanted to be upstairs with everybody else. You know, we put the bridal suite in the other side of the building because it didn't have any steps involved. So we changed the bridal suite because he wanted to be part of it. So in other words, there's you know? nothing you can't do if you're if you're told in enough time. One thousand percent. You could literally build a ramp. Build a ramp, whatever it takes. We're in the hospitality business, and if you're not willing to say yes, you probably don't belong in the hospitality business, number one. But you have to do it. You know, you're smiling right now. You're right. No, because I know exactly. You got to do it with the heart, you know, because if you don't have it in your heart, you know, you can have it all up here, but if you don't uh-huh. have it in your heart, you know, it kind of it kind of works hand in hand in the hospitality business. It's funny. We were talking last time, and I was like shocked because I never think of myself as a sentimental person. And and someone said, "What do you miss most about weddings?" And I said, "Discussing a song with a bride or a groom, playing that song, and having it have the exact intent that they expected, like a song that they all sang in college." And he says, "Trust me, everyone's going to join in. We do it. The place goes crazy." Like if you're playing New Orleans music because people went to Tulane, that look on someone's face when you've made that connection, just a bride giving you a look like, yes, okay, now I know why I hired you, <laughs> you know, thank you. And that, I miss that so much. Again, nothing organic. Yes is the answer, you know? Yeah. What's the question? I have a florist friend of mine who says, what's the question? Yes is the answer. That's all, that's all he says. <laughs> uh, it's, it's kind of cool, you know? Some things that you plan for, if I'm able to impart it onto the maitre d' mm-hmm. and, and I'm able to make sure that my staff is totally in tune to what I've promised, I've done my job. So this is the perfect circle. We started this conversation. You said, I talked to them for months, maybe a year in advance, and, and I promised them things. Then I have to disseminate that information to my people and to all the vendors. And I said, all right, explain that. And here we are back to that. When you include the people that aren't working for you, like the band or, or the Valley Parkers, it could be hundreds of people, easily. Easily, 100 to 200 people, easily. For most, yeah. most, so most you have to impart that, all these things that are happening. Yes. Usually, you know, is the hookah staying in the room? Or is it because the tables now are an extend to where the hookah was? Do I need that space? Is the florist bringing in enough people to rip it down? Because he's got to pass that charge on to the bride and groom. You know what I'm saying? Right. Okay. Yeah. Because yeah. you want 650 people, I need five more tables where the hook is. Sure. 
550, we can just wall it off and we don't have to see it like we do in a wedding for 300 people. Some people want that hookah for a photo op. They're going to put some furniture on it and keep it all lit. And people are going to go back and forth and hang in it. I'm not big on people hanging on platforms. Like I'm not big on people coming up on your bandstand, but it gets yeah, a little yeah. crazy, you know? Um, mm-hmm. But that that's also part of the vibe. And, you know, and, and my maitre d' and myself have to be watching. When a glass breaks on the dance floor, okay, and I happen to be sitting there and it shatters across the marble, I'm walking in like a traffic cop stand back because I know all these girls have no shoes on. Oh, wow. Those are the kind of things I'm looking for because my maitre d' is controlling the food coming out. He's controlling the dinner break with you. And again, if I've done my job, and I know I've said this probably too many times on this podcast, but if I've done my job correctly, I get to stand back and just watch the rest of the evening unfold. But there's always something that I'm seeing that could be a problem because I, as I tell my, my assistants and my other managers, if you're reacting, you're not a good manager. If you're seeing it in advance and you're able to cut it off at the pass and you're seeing that girl like walking around on the dance floor holding the, her champagne glass, like, well, I maybe I might be walk over and pull it out of her hand. I'll get you another glass. Yeah, yeah. Just using that as a simple example. And if things get a little out of whack, the maitre d's talking to you about give me an extra five or because of food. Mm-hmm. But I look at it as we're all part of a sales team. Right. I don't look at it as operations versus sales. Even the chef is part of the sales team as far as I'm concerned because oh, sure. the food speaks for the venue. The venue speaks to itself. The way you're greeted when you come into the building with waiters standing at attention, folding napkins when the people are dancing and the, the napkins are straight, the chairs are back in touching the, the, the tablecloth. Randy, you got to promise me that we're going to do this like a bunch of times. We were talking mostly about the cocktail hour and ballet parking, which are two incredibly important things that people don't really think about. But as you were saying, at the end of the party, you could have had the world's greatest party, and if someone has to wait half hour for their car. They're they're miserable. It's my job to set you up for success. Randy, man, you are the best. There are so many topics. I did not know that the ballet parking was not run by... No. It's a separate contract, separate liability. Where if they if they bang up the car, that's their insurance. We're responsible for an awful lot, but we can't be responsible for that. Randy Janis, thank you so much. Certainly, my pleasure. You be well. All right. You let, too. Let's stay. Let's stay in touch. Come sit around my pool, and I'm going to barbecue for you. Oh, now you're talking. All right. Okay. And my, I, got I got like got this Rolls Royce heater to heat up my pool, so I will heat it up to 90, oh. even if it's May. <laughs> okay, you got it. That is a really good man. I genuinely enjoy talking to Randy. I could talk to him all day. And he will be back because I've got about a thousand other things I want to ask him. As usual, you can find me at Doug Winters Inc. on Instagram. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It's under the Wedding Wisdom Podcast with Doug Winters. This is a very, very big week. We start a new administration, the Biden-Harris administration. So here's to us, America. Stay safe, stay strong. We will get through this together. And I do appreciate you more than you know. Bye-bye now.